0: Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life, unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Have you ever wondered why you know some folks who we look at as maybe celebrities, how how they get that way? How they get so much notoriety, how they get so much influence. How do they go from nothing to something and someone that somebody all over the world knows? Well, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that have figured out a way to do this. Um, There's influencers of influencers. There's influencers of brands. There's people that know technology, platforms, and social media that are passionate about helping other people figure these things out. So today's guest, Kim Kaup, is not just that. She's a founder. She's a keynote speaker. She's a -a one-of-a-kind teacher uh, from worldwide stages to her online courses, particularly in LinkedIn learning. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Kim's mission of investing in yourself and supercharging your own career, building your own network. It's garnered her the praise of corporate clients like American Express, YPO, uh, TEDx, LinkedIn. Her weekly live series, which you got to check out if you if you aren't doing so, is Coffee with Kim. And we'll give you all the links and stuff at the end in the show notes. She brings in experts, founders, leaders. They share tips, tricks, strategies that help them excel in life personally and professionally. Now, additionally, it's her partner agency that she's working with Bright Ideas Only that have helped her actually work with A-list folks such as Paul McCartney, Oprah, which I'm sure we'll get into that story, the New York Mets, Sean Mendez, and she helps them create marketing programs and new revenue streams and branding. Now, if that weren't enough, you might recognize Kim from ABC's hit primetime show Shark Tank, where she she actually got offers from four out of five sharks. I'm sure we'll get into that story a little bit. And her, ju- her role as a judge in the 2019 Miss USA pageant, which was live on Fox, and also v- various social media channels. If you look her up at all, you're going to see her everywhere. Uh, she's pushing out content daily. She was named to Inc's 35 under 35, Advertising Ages 40 under 40, and Forbes 30 under 30. So um, Kim Kalp is well accomplished, but her story to how she got there is what I care the most about and how it might help you. So Kim, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Excellent. So I warn you, like I do all the guests, you got that prescripted question you had to think about. You had literally like 60 seconds to think about it. Uh, Tell the audience a little bit about your backstory, your origin story, where you come from, and and what were some of the folks or the people that informed the values and the values and beliefs you have today that really inform how you go to uh, get up every day to help other people? Tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited that this question comes so soon after the intro, because the intro I feel is is great, but also slightly deceiving when you hear all of these accolades and sort of the entrepreneurial successes with whether it's Paul McCartney or Oprah, like, like as you ma- mentioned you know, I think that people kind of get this picture in their mind about who I am or how I started. And that could usually never be farther from the truth. And what I mean by that is I'd love to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I feel like it's very sexy in the last 10 years to not only become an entrepreneur, but sort of have this myth, legend around you, whether you're Richard Branson or Gary Vee, and you're sitting there like, I started a lemonade stand by age six. And, you know, then in middle school, I had a lawn mowing conglomerate. And, you know, then in high school, I had a babysitting ring with like everybody in the neighborhood and I, you know, managed all this money. And, and so you hear these stories and then you're like, well, of course, Richard Branson is, you know, successful or Mark Cuban or, or any of these really successful entrepreneurs. And, I really enjoyed telling people that I had not one iota of entrepreneurial blood in me at all. Like, I did not have a lemonade stand. I did not have a lawn mowing conglomerate. I did not have a babysitting ring. None of those things. You know, I really went through school being like, I want to go work a corporate job. Like, hooray, corporate. <laughs> like, that sounds awesome. My dream is to work in publishing at a magazine. And that was sort of, Kind of the vision that I held in my mind all throughout middle school, all throughout high school, all throughout college. My internships in college were at magazines. I was just like publishing, publishing, publishing. You know, magazines. That's where I want to be. That was my big goal. And so when I graduated college in 2008 from the University of Florida, that is ultimately where I went up to New York City, Manhattan, where the magazine publishers of the world are, where you know Meredith, Condé Nast, Time Inc. Rest in peace, no no longer with us as a publishing house, but you know, that's really where all the magazines were. And so that's where I got my start, spent two and a half years at Condé Nast, ultimately went to an ad agency where I met my former co-founder and sort of started this company again by accident. So that was not my intention. That was not something that I wanted to be. Um, Entrepreneurship found me in a really unique way. And I really love telling that story to other people because I think sometimes we listen to podcasts and it can almost seem like, well, of course, you know, Jeff is able to do X, Y, Z, or of course, Kim is able to do X, Y, Z. Like, that's not me. That's not relatable. So I always tell people, you never know the entrepreneurial bug can find you later in life or or a side hustle bug or, or something that you just thought, oh, this is unexpected. And it's finding me, at a later time in my life. Um, but yeah, I'm accidental entrepreneur and founded my company 12 years ago, and I've been running it ever since knock on wood successfully. So it's been quite a journey. And there's lots of characters that I've met along the way that have really kind of shaped who I am. And we could definitely get into those if you'd like. But I think the one thing I really wanted to press on people is, you know, be ready
0: for the unexpected because you kind of never know where life's going to take you. So that's great. So let me, uh, and I hate, I, I hate to ask it this way because it's it's, it comes across a little morbid sometimes. But what I really love to learn about somebody is if your best friend, your significant other, somebody you care deeply about has to eulogize you, right? And they got to say, these are the three things that Kim brought to this world that she would want to be known for. What are those three things? What are those three values or beliefs that make you who you are?
1: Yeah, I think one probably is hopefully universal for a lot of us is, you know, leaving either a person or a situation or a business or a job better than when I found it. You know, I want people to be sunshine and rainbows when they interact with me after they leave me. You know, of course, I have bad days. Of course, they feel like poop and probably don't hold the door open or close the elevator door. (laughs) Hopefully, I'm I'm 90% of the time uh, holding the elevator door open and opening the door and really trying to kind of give somebody the warm and fuzzies for when they... When they leave me or interact with me. So that's probably number one. Um, number two is it's really, really important for me to be there for friends and family. I think that that's something that time is just one of those things that you can't get back and you can't buy more of. So really kind of always being there for the little stuff, whether it's picking somebody up at the airport or the big stuff like somebody's college graduation, just really being there for those life moments. And I guess the last thing would be, on average, bringing a sense of calm to chaos, I really try. I think in today's world of you know social media and outrage and everybody up in arms, really just kind of trying to be the swan on the water and saying, "Well, let's take a step back. <laughs> like, like, let's look at this. Let's let's not freak out. Just trying to trying to be that calm presence in the room."
0: Love it. I love it. And someday I'll learn a little bit more where those all came from. <laughs> Uh, we work with a lot of leaders on trying to explore that, right? Their values and what that looks like and to show up every day. And you said something I think it's really important before we dive into a lot of the meat is these are the things we aspire to be, right? And on our best day, we want to be known, these characteristics and these values. And, and knowing that, you know, as humans, we're going to fall down and scuff our knees up and probably not show up every day the way we hope that our grandparents or my father or mother or whatever had taught us to, to be. So those are three aspirational values. I do a, my daughter graduated from college this year. My son graduated from high school. When when each of my kids have graduated high school, I create a a single page, 50 life lessons from dad. I hope you learned. And your three of those made it on there on each of their things. Like, I hope that you learned this from, from me, but if you didn't (laughs) at least learn it moving forward, right? Take these values moving forward. So I love it. Okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this journey. So this accidental entrepreneur and I, what I love and I feel from you is this just desire to serve others, like to help other people and kind of find their superpower and then figure out a way to lean into it. Um, what was that first big break that you had that you're like, wait a minute, I don't have to have a real job. Like I, I might be able to do this <laughs> on my own. Like what was that?
1: Um, I don't know if there was like one moment. I think if anything, I am naturally a very risk averse person, which always sort of confuses people because they're like, what do you mean you started this company? Like that's so risky. And I actually think that that's sort of a misconception about a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, in terms of my friends who are kind of fellow founders is that, oh, they're very risky people. You know, they kind of, they go left when everybody else is going right. And what I always like to say is it's, usually very calculated. And it's very deliberate with the bets that they're making. So for example, you know, I always tell people, I stayed at my corporate job as long as humanly possible. And I always say, unless you're an entrepreneur, that's like independently wealthy, and in which so like, good for you. Most of us have to pay rent, mortgage, food, the water bill. I mean, like we have expenses. Now, if you're Paris Hilton, Great! You don't have to worry about those expenses, and you can go try to be a yoga instructor, anything else that you want to be, because you don't have to worry about bills. But for those of us that have to worry about bills, you know, I stayed in my. I always tell people, if you look online, we say that the company started in January of 2011, and it did. I did not quit my corporate job until March of that year, because I literally waited until the last possible second to quit because I wanted that safety net as long as possible. And one of the things to your point, Jeff, that my parents always instilled in me was like that rainy day fund. So on day one of my job, it was, we're putting money into a savings account. Like we're putting that rainy day fund. You could get fired tomorrow. You could, you know, have to stop working tomorrow. Like how, how's that going to go? So I had three months of like a runway sort of rainy day fund where I said, okay, we have three months to make this business work. And if it works great, love that. If it doesn't, I need to go find another job. (laughs) You know, I need to go, um, find another solution or go live with my, you know, leave New York, go live, on my mom's couch and reassess my life because I've run out of money and, and can't pay the rent and my roommates don't want to pay the rent for me. So I think really the big moment came when I took that leap, started making money within those first three months, realizing like, okay, this is a thing. We can generate revenue for this. We can pay our bills. And I think when I made it the first year of paying my bills, you know, that was when I was like, okay, this could be a thing. Because I think before that, I always sort of had, we all have that little, you know, angel and devil. I think I always had that devil on my shoulder, you know, kind of whispering like, you can't do it, or this is going to fail, or, you know, um, maybe this is all just like a one-time thing. And so I think after a year, I was finally able to quiet that voice and be like, no, this is this is a real thing, dang it. Like, I'm doing this.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you're touching on a lot of the psychology we talk about, too. Like we're wired, hardwired. Our brains are hardwired for self-preservation and risk-averse. Loss aversion is a huge driver for a lot of our behavior. But for everybody that's become an entrepreneur or fill in the blank, at some point you push over that loss aversion and you're like, okay, I, I can calculate this as best as I can, right? To your point. People make good bets. Rarely do people that are successful as entrepreneurs make such a wildly crazy bet that it's going to, I tell people, don't make catastrophic decisions when you're trying something new, right? That does play it out, play it out and do the, then what would happen? And if it ends up being, if if catastrophe is anywhere in the continuum, like wait, (laughs) wait until you've got what you have foundationally ready. Yeah,
1: totally. Well, I think, I think there's a, I think there's a big difference between playing like the penny slots and pe- playing like the thousand dollar hand right like the penny right. slots are like i don't know i lost like a dollar okay well you got so many tries and to your point yeah i mean i tell people all the time like you make you make decisions all day long that you think are the best bet like okay i'm going to take i95 instead of taking a1a because i think I- i95 is going to be faster well sometimes that works out for you and it's faster and sometimes you know what there's an accident And you would have been better off taking the side streets because it actually would have gotten you to your destination faster. Like every day we just, we make decisions kind of guessing the best we can. And I think that at the end of the day, that that's all you can do.
0: Yeah, it's great. I love it. And the brain's a predictive machine, right? That's really what it does It's trying to predict outcomes of every little decision you make all day long. And there's hundreds and thousands of them that happen, which actually gets into what I wanted to cover next with you, which I think the myth and I work with, you know, I told you in the pre-show that we started this company over a decade ago. And i work with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years and business owners and successful people. And to this day, I don't know that I've ever met one that said, the idea I had when I started this thing looks exactly like I thought it would 10 years later. And and tell us what your perspective is on that myth of, well, I had an idea, but if you're not able to flex and and be fluid and let it evolve, then you're also going to maybe find yourself back at a dead end job that you didn't want to (laughs) work at the
1: beginning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if for anybody uh, listening that has kids around them, whether they're your kids or nieces or nephews, you know, we've all had that moment where we last saw the child when the child was like four years old and then you're seeing them at six and you're like, oh my God, like you're so big. You look totally different. Ah, You can talk in full sentences. Like, You know, you sort of have this just jarring moment of like, this looks so wildly different. And I think starting a business or any new endeavor, you know, you're starting a new division at your company. Or, or any sort of entrepreneurship that can happen, as well as entrepreneurship, yeah, it's always going to look kind of wildly different maybe than you first started, because not only does the idea evolve, but really, uh, at least in my case, for sure, the environment in which the company operates evolves. And what I mean by that is I always tell people, kind of close your eyes for a second and get in a little time machine with me. And let's zoom, zoom, zoom back to January, 2011 in the entertainment industry, where we started our company. And I'll give you a little snapshot. No such thing as Instagram, like didn't exist. No Snapchat, no TikTok, no, you know, all these things that nowadays Back in the day, this is how we know we sound old, we used to have to download songs from iTunes for $1.99 back in 2011. We still had CDs. You know, Spotify was an inkling of an idea that Daniel Elk was just bringing over to the United States. The closest thing we had to that was Pandora Radio, which was essentially the radio from your car streamed to your computer. So. The entertainment industry in the 10 years that I've had my business, I mean, talk about some wild changes. You know, We now have social media platforms that we never had. The way we consume music, the way we consume Netflix, binging on Netflix, Netflix didn't exist. So the entertainment world wildly changes. So not only is your business changing just because your ideas are iterating or you're getting feedback from customers or use cases, but the world around you is changing. So you kind of have these dual paths of all this change all at once. And you're just, again, trying to iterate, trying to change right along with it. So yes, my company looks wildly different now than it did 12 years ago when we started.
0: Well, isn't that a good metaphor just for life in general, right? Is that if, if you think you have things figured out and you know exactly how it's supposed to go, then what happens is, is you not only do you, it doesn't ever work out that way, but you put blinders on to what you're learning and the opportunities to make it even better, or bigger, or more, you know, effective than you ever dreamed about. And I, I think that's what I see a lot too, is sometimes entrepreneurs or whether again, personally or professionally, people that have this mindset where they're locked on, oh, I got to have a vision. And my vision is clear. I got a vision board. It's clear. I'm not wavering from it. Like, well, you probably haven't lived. (laughs) Because the minute you take one step toward that vision, something comes in, an input comes in that you weren't anticipating. And if you don't process it and evolve, you're going to miss the opportunity. And eventually you're going to die. You're going to be a blockbuster. You're going to, you know, you're going to be... Uh, an MP3 player, uh, fill in the blank. And I love that you were talking about the good old days being 2011 or back in the day. I'm like, man, I am getting old.
1: Well, and I, I have a hot take, Jeff. I have a hot take, which is very controversial. And some people get quite uh, angry with me about this. But but I really think this is true. You know, again, when we see the developments that we've had in the last 10 years, or even let's say, you know, five years in terms of technology, don't even get me started on chat GPT and AI. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother ballgame. But just the amount of technological changes, Tesla driving cars, I mean, we're living in the Jetson era, like I, I am Judy Jetson at this point. I always tell people very controversially, you know, you go to Harvard or Yale, you go to any of these MBA programs and they say, well, Jeff, you're starting a business and I think you should do your one year plan, your three year plan, your five year plan. And, you know, that's how we go out to these VCs. And I'm like, scrap all of that. Your three and five year plans. Who knows? They are so Pointless and obsolete. Um, it, it's almost a dead end exercise to even do them because I don't, in five years, we could have flying cars. And I mean, I'm saying that a little bit facetiously, but five years ago, I don't think anybody would have said, we're going to have chat GPT. We're going to have something that can program something within 30 minutes for somebody that doesn't know how to program, that it can write code of a website without needing to pay somebody to do it. I mean, so all that to say, I think when people make these wonderful vision boards or business plans or executive plans for three and five years, I just think it's totally pointless. We have absolutely no idea where we're gonna be. I think the most people should do is a year, tops.
0: Hmm, love that. And that's such a new thought, right? Cause you're right. And that's again, part of the problem with academia is it's being led by a bunch of dinosaurs that are used to doing things the old way. And unless they are communicating with people that are out actually doing things today, they're going to miss these kids. I have um, my daughter just graduated college. My nephew graduated college two years ago. I got another one in junior, junior college. And I was talking to him and his girlfriend this week and trying to kind of coach him up a little bit. And I'm just trying to break the mentality that their professors are putting in their head around what happens next. Cause I'm like, look, gang, I'm living it every day. So I can tell you from a real world perspective that that's not, those are great things you're learning. Go put them in a toolbox and then put the toolbox in the back of your truck, but then get in your truck and start driving around. You're going to see, you're going to need a couple different sets of tools they didn't tell you about.
1: A hundred percent.
0: One of the things that you like to talk about that we love talking about here at Brain Trust is habits and habit formation, particularly how the brain operates. We won't get into the nerdy stuff today, but I know that you're big on what are some of the habits you can do to improve each week? What are habits that, that really help move you forward? Um, give us your take on habits and then some things that you've learned about habits yourself that you've applied and what you might coach people on around habits.
1: Yeah, I think there's two kind of habits that if I could really just have my Harry Potter magic wand and, and instill in everybody, uh, it would be these two things. The first one being, if you don't have it innately, learn to develop a habit of curiosity. What do I mean by that? I mean, once a week, listen to a podcast you wouldn't normally listen to. Read an article from a website that you would sign up for a newsletter, follow somebody on LinkedIn or Instagram, like get curious about the world, because that is where a ton, ton, ton of development of learning, of really just being that person in the office. And we all know this person in the office that comes in and says, Hey guys, I was doing some reading and there's this really cool project management software I think we should try out. Now, I'm not saying that that becomes the project management software and you know everybody hails that person he or she a hero but enough times that person doing it they're gonna go wow Jeff is always bringing in good ideas. They're, they're not always ones that we take, but you know, he's always bringing in interesting things, interesting nuggets. And then people start to associate you with, you know, an interesting person. And it's not like Jeff had to go to Yale or Harvard or some fancy MBA. It's just developing that muscle of curiosity, I think is extremely important. And just, if you don't have it already, start to develop it as soon as you can, because it's only going to help you. So that kind of being number one. And number two is get in the habit of surrounding yourself with smarter, more talented, more interesting people than you. I mean, I always joke with people, my ideal room is the one where I am the dumbest person. I want to be the dumbest, the one who's the least interesting. Like that means I've made it into the right room. And so some people will say, well, Kim, you know, my town is really small or I'm in college. And, you know, how do I do this? And I say, it used to be you are the summation of the five people you spend the most time with. I think that's kind of like the old school you know, way of thinking about our environment and who we surround ourselves with. And I always say kind of the new school way is, you know, we, we have these devices now, Jeff, like these phones follow us around like a bad habit. And so you not only are consuming things in the real world, you know, IRL, as the kids say, but you are consuming things digitally as well. So if you can't surround yourself in person with these types of people, then my goodness, you know, follow Bill Gates and the the Gates Foundation on LinkedIn, you know, follow Mark Cuban on Instagram, follow Richard Branson on Snapchat, you know, Follow these really smart, interesting people on these other mediums, just as much as you can surround yourself with people that are only going to help elevate you and elevate what you're thinking and what you're consuming.
0: Well, I love it because they're really tied together, right? Because cu- the first habit you talked about, the curiosity and I, and i love the idea of there's there's really there's curiosity to learn something new in all the places you mentioned and then there's the idea the habit of the curiosity of learn about somebody like like how do i get into the habit of consciously going okay i'm going to i'm going to go meet with kim today and i'm going to ask her questions to learn her story at a deeper level that i never knew And just that, that act of that will will become a habit, right? The brain will create new neural pathways. And suddenly you're over here finding new information every day because you've got all these sources you like to look at. And then now you're building, building better relationships because you're consciously caring about other people by asking them about their story. And so put those two together and then add your, your second piece of go find people smarter than you and then be curious about them. <laughs> and how they got to be smarter than you, right? Was it just an IQ thing, or no? My guess is it was a life journey thing that I want to soak up and, and soak in. And and we talk a lot at Brain Trust about habit formation is everywhere. It's everything. It's every day. It's your behaviors every day are usually an output of the habits that you've created, uh, both literally from how you brush your teeth and get up in the morning to how you communicate. There, all, it's all habitual actions that your brain has developed pathways and you've got to be able to create new ones to continue to optimize your brain to continue to move forward and that's what I love about the topic itself and I can nerd out with you all day on on that from a communication standpoint but all right so let's do something fun then tell me then we'll bridge off that into all right so in your in your intro, I talked about, you know, you've worked with Oprah and Paul McCartney and you got to give us some fun story there. Like what was one story? Like, was it the, was it that you can go down the Oprah path or and maybe the shark tank path and a little bit of that. And give us a couple of those stories. Cause people look at that and go, how in the world did you go from working in New York city, you know, the publishing company or what have you to now you're working for Oprah? Like what, how did that even happen?
1: I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my kind of, because we were just kind of nerding out on that sort of stuff. So one, one of the nerdy things that I loved about working with Oprah and her whole team, especially when it comes to habits, especially when it comes to another subject that I, I nerd out on all the time, which is delegation is she has done such a brilliant job of obviously we're not able to clone ourselves, or at least not yet until Elon decides to work a little harder. We we can't quite clone ourselves, but Oprah has done such a brilliant job of, there is a, a team of about anywhere from six to eight people around Oprah that touch every single part of Oprah's business, whether it is Oprah Daily whether it is Weight Watchers, WW, which is one of her large private investments, whether it is her book club, whether it is Harpo, her production company, these people, and if she starts something new, one of these six to eight people will go be the CEO of that. Because what she has done is she has trained these six to eight people to think like her, to make moves that she would approve of, they can take one look at something and go, we're not even going to show her this because we already know she's not going to like it. Or I already know you need to make these three changes because by the time we send it to her, she'll have a higher you know, priority of approving it. So really kind of delegating out her way of thinking, her structure around thinking, and then making a habit of saying, you kind of got to go through them before you get to me. And I think some people look at that and say, well, you know, you're on your high horse. But I always say Oprah cannot be where she is today because she can't be everywhere always at once. You know, you can't have eight companies and be the CEO of all of them. You know, as we can see from Jack Dorsey and the the epic fail of of Twitter and and how that's gone with, with Stripe as well. So I think she's done a really brilliant job of... Kind of getting that core team around her and saying how can i siphon off parts of my knowledge or parts of my decision making and kind of implant it Into these individuals. And I found that working with her and her team over six months, like as a business leader, I was taking notes. I was like, oh my gosh, like, let me copy this homework. Like, this is so inspiring. Like, I didn't even know you could run a company this way. I mean, just really nerding out on the ends of how she is able to do so much as a single individual, I think that's the part that, you know, you were talking a little bit about behind the scenes and the people that make it happen. You know, those six to eight people, they're not necessarily walking the red carpets, but, but boy, they are intrinsic to her success. And I found that to be wildly interesting and fascinating.
0: So what were these folks like Oprah or the Mets uh, or Shawn Mendez? like what were they actually engaging you to do?
1: So it's a wide variety of things. I would say for the most part we were working with them to make physical product. So what does that look like? What does that mean for a music artist? That could be the merchandise that you see for sale. So you walk up to a concert and you go up to the merch booth and you see t-shirts and sweatshirts. We are working with those teams to say, let's design these products. What will these products even be? What do your fans want? What do they want to buy? So sort of doing the mass stuff. And then in addition to that, really focusing on products that will serve their super fans. So really saying, okay, this, this t-shirt, which might appeal to lots of people is one item, but a 200 page coffee table book, all about country artist Eric Church, might not be so universal because you know an average fan might say, "Okay, 200 pages on Eric Church. I don't know if I want to read that." But for that very avid super fan, they're going to go, "Man, I wish it was 400 pages about Eric right. Church." Right. You know, right. let me add it. Like, let me let me devour that. So, doing kind of those limited edition, we're only going to make a thousand of these coffee table books and Eric church is going to sign them and they're going to be individually numbered. And, you know, we're going to sell them as a collector's item. So really, again, I know you're talking about psychology, but really getting into the psychology of the fan of the consumer and saying, what is it that they actually want From you? What is it that they actually are excited about that's going to get them to purchase or to follow or to come out to an event you have? And that's really at the heart of what my agency does, and really what Abby, my business partner, and I are kind of the question that we're constantly coming back to is not necessarily what you want, but what do they want? What do they want? What do they want to consume? Not necessarily what you think is best or that you think is going to be a good decision
0: so it sounds like you guys are trying to come up with what are some really innovative creative ways to serve any person or company's brand to their customers in a way either that they hadn't even that they themselves hadn't considered and practically possibly the fans hadn't even considered as an option but you got to know them so well so here's an innovative idea by the way is there a 200 page coffee table book for Eric Church or did you just make that up
1: there is <laughs>
0: Did you guys design that? I don't
1: think it's 200 pages, but there are, we, we did do a coffee table book for him, so that's why I thought of it.
0: Oh, wow. That's fascinating. I'm a big country music guy, so I love that stuff. So oh, I love it. That's why. I, I don't know that I would buy a 200-page uh, Eric Church book. I'm not a super fan, but you know, I do think that's pretty creative. Um, so along those same lines, then, I've heard it said a lot over the years that everybody that walks the, the planet has a personal brand, whether they know it or not. The question is, is are you being intentional about creating yours and then promoting the brand you want others to see? And you can substitute the word brand for whatever you like there. Um, I'm always fascinating at evaluating folks like yourself, just looking at your stuff. I'm like, she knows what she's doing. She knows what her brand is and she's good at promoting it. Clearly, this is what she does. Sometimes, you know, the master cobbler's kids have no shoes. Well, your kids have shoes and they're blingy shoes, right? So you know what you're doing. So tell tell me your perspective in the audience, your perspective on personal brand, whether it be personal brand or personal brand that's professional in nature. What, what's your philosophy on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of C-suite teams or entrepreneurs or leaders that tell me, well, Kim, I don't care about a personal brand. Like, I don't care about that. I don't need a website. I don't need to be famous. You know, I don't have social media channels. That's not important to me. And This is kind of like the story that I always go back to with them. So my mom was a school teacher, you know, 30 years in the school system. And one thing she always instilled with me is, you know, when we go off to school or into the world, you know, we tuck in our shirt, we comb our hair, you know, we we look, we don't have stains on our shirt. We like look presentable. We shake people's hand. We look them in the eye and you know, the first impression is everything, Kim. You know, I can remember my mom being like, we're always going to make a first, a good first impression. And I always say that that's kind of like the leave it to beaver. Uh, again, kind of that old school thinking is like, well, you combed your hair, you have a nice firm handshake, you got your suit on. It's a good first impression. But now whether it's, Fortunately and, or unfortunately, sometimes I think it's the latter. Again, we have these phones. They are connected to us. We cannot escape them. They are there all the time. And so often now, we don't have first impressions anymore. What do I mean by that? I mean, people meet you. People get to know you, K-N-O-W, before they, before they even can say yes or no to you in person, And so Jeff, this is the first time you and I have been meeting kind of in real life. But as you just said, you looked up a ton of stuff about me before we met. And in today's world of Google, we're all doing that. We're Googling people before we meet them. Your kid has a new teacher in school. What are you doing? You're Googling the teacher, making sure they're not, you know, some creep. You know, oh, your son or daughter is dating somebody new. Well, I'm Googling them, making sure they're not a serial killer. I mean, we're Googling people. You're going to meet somebody for coffee. What are you doing? You're Googling them before you meet them for coffee. What does this person look like? You know, what can I find out about them? So what I tell people is unfortunately because of, our iPhones and, and iPads and cell phones, we no longer have the option to say, Well, I don't have to pay attention to that because people are already Googling you, whether you like it or not. So, so like, that's happening, yeah. hard, hard stop. And then the question is okay, do you want to make a good first impression? Because it's already happening. Or not. And if so, most people will say, well, of course, I want to make a good first impression, just like I would in person, I wouldn't start, you know, I wouldn't go to a sales meeting in a dirty t shirt and my sweatpants, even though those might be comfy. And I I say I joke with the, you know, the teams I work with. And I say, well, no offense, I googled you and you're looking pretty comfy online. You're looking, yeah. you're looking pretty comfy. You got your sweatpants on because I can't find a picture of you. Your LinkedIn is half filled out. You're, you're looking like you didn't brush your hair on you know, on, on, on the internet.
0: You're still living like you're in quarantine, right? People still show up like they're in quarantine.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And so what I tell people is now, you know, you sort of have to do that and you have to do that again, whether you are an entrepreneur or whether you are a C-suite team, I'll I'll give you this example, Jeff, but I won't reveal who the business was. I did a workshop, kind of a multi-day workshop with a team recently of all C-suite executives and they were about to go raise a major, major, this is a public company, but they were about to go out and raise more money, take on more funding. And I said to them, the first thing people are going to do is they're going to Google your C-suite team. Who's the CMO? Who's the CTO? Because if I'm writing a check yeah. for $10 million, I want to know who the heck's you know in charge of this rodeo and I was like, and I Googled your CTO's name and on LinkedIn, he has like a bare profile. You're telling me you're going to go out on Bloomberg and all this stuff and and I can't even find a picture of your CTO? Like, no, it's, it's, a, it's a no. So right. you really have to kind of have your hair brushed and your shirt buttoned and tucked in. And unfortunately that applies to the internet now too. And so that's why I always tell people, like, if you do nothing else, I get it. You don't want to have your own website. You don't want to have your own Instagram. You don't fine, 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 fine. I don't care, but at least create a LinkedIn profile that looks clear and crisp and professional so that when people type in your name into Google, they don't think this person's a serial killer, or this person's making me nervous because I can't find anything out about them.
0: Yeah. And I think some people love to think they live in this world of anonymity and and, and maybe they do. I've, I've stumbled across a couple of people that you literally can't find anything about. I want to almost hire them to figure out how they did that, but that's, that's rare, right? For most people, they don't even realize how much information there is about them out there. So I love that as a tip, like go Google yourself and see if you were about to hire you, <laughs> what information could you find out about you and how? what would be the impression that people would have? And I think there's a fine line between trying to create this Instagram perfect world that everyone says that they hate versus a, a nice professional representation of who you are, what you stand for. and And so people can go, wow. I don't even know this person yet, but I kind of like them. I kind of feel like they're at least presenting, well, their brand is presenting as someone that I would like to either do business with or even personally that I would like to meet and get to know better, like at minimum, right?
1: Totally. And I tell people, listen, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, like, I'm lazy. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do extra work. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to have to put in hours and hours and hours for something that like, isn't going to be used. So I always tell people like, if you have 30 minutes, I actually wrote down all these tips because I was asked for them so many times. You can go to helpmylinkedin.com and download them totally for free. Just because I was like, if you do nothing else, like, While you're watching TV this weekend or while you are kind of waiting on something that that is going to be sent via email, like take 30 minutes and just do this kind of bare minimum. And like, that's it. That's all you need. Like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, just do these small little things and you will be so golden.
0: Yep. Love it. All right. So, uh, man, this is, time has flown by. Let, let's, uh, let's land the plane a little bit here, but I want to be practical because I know you have a lot of things that you're doing to help serve people today, both individuals, entrepreneurs, businesses, corporate teams. Um, what is it that you're the most passionate about right now? And where can people learn more about how to go learn about all the, the voodoo that you do and how they might want to use you to help them do some of the voodoo they do?
1: Yeah. I think the thing that I'm most kind of passionate about right now is once again, you can go to helpmylinkedin.com and just kind of do us all a favor and, and get your LinkedIn just looking kind of like bare minimum, like nothing fancy, just get it set up and optimized. I think that's so, so important. And I just try to provide, as you said, as much value, as many tips and tricks as I can On LinkedIn. I mean, that's really I have an Instagram as well, of course, but really LinkedIn is where I am posting every single week tips, tricks, interesting things that I find. We talked about having that curiosity earlier. I'm constantly kind of putting interesting things on there. So I always tell people like, I'd love to connect on there. It's really somewhere that I I find a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting conversations are happening.
0: Uh, I love that. And for all of my millennials and Gen Zs listening both of you um, probably more than, than we, I know we have a lot more, especially millennials now, geez, if you're thinking that granny Cowpier is just uh, you know, she's talking about things from the stone age when it comes to LinkedIn, it's not true, right? You got into that, that, that the, every company, their biggest presence right now typically is, is on LinkedIn and it's growing exponentially. And I'm not just saying that to promote LinkedIn, I'm saying it to, to help you promote you, And when you get out there and realize whether you're 18 right now graduating high school or you're in college and you're about to graduate college or you're just in your early part of your career and we didn't get into network, I should have you back on. We should get into networking better. We should get into communication more. I mean, we kind of meandered a little bit today and there's so many topics you're an expert on. Maybe we'll just have to have you back on. LinkedIn is a great place to learn those things. And um, one of the things I'll close with on this and then any comments you have to close us with is. If you go to Kim's website, which is kimkaup.com, which is K-I-M-K-A-U-P-E.com, what I loved about her brand, personal brand, was everything that I heard from her first five-minute story confirmed how I felt about the digital brand she put out. She's very approachable. She's very kind. She has a warm you know, countenance about her. There was, a, there was something about the way she put her own brand together on her website that made you believe that she's someone you would want to spend time with and could help you. And then when you meet her, you're like, oh, it just confirms it. The brain was actively already looking to confirm I felt that way versus some of you out there have a brand online that my brain's going to go, this person's an idiot or I don't know that I like them and I got to meet with them. And then you meet with them and your brain's trying to confirm that you didn't like them because of what you already thought you felt about them subconsciously online, right? So go to kimkalp.com and Kim, give us some final tips, tricks, tidbits, nuggets that you would say. Um, for anybody out there right now on any topic, I'll give you the floor. Go. (laughs) Um,
1: I will say just to redeem myself slightly with the Gen Z and the millennials, you, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok. Um, it's very easy to find me because all you do is you open up Instagram and you start typing in Kim Kardashian. So you start typing in K I M K A and then Stop. And Kim Kardashian will be number one and right under her will be me. So I always joke with people, there's going to be two Kim K's. One of them is not going to have clothes on and the other one is going to be me. So all you have to do is just start <laughs> typing in Kim Kardashian. I'm going to be the second one. There's lots of clothes. It will not be hard to find me. So it's I, I am on those platforms as well. And it's is easy to find me. But I would say, you know, the number one takeaway or or kind of piece of wisdom or advice that I would give anybody who's listening is as much as possible, try to form really great, small, 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 thoughtful habits. So like, I'll give you an example of one that I do. So at the start of every month, because again, it's hard to be thoughtful. Why? Because we're, we're busy people. Our thoughts are in a million directions. You're going, oh crap, I forgot you know, grandma's birthday or oh crap, the soccer game was last week. And I said I would bring cupcakes and I didn't. So you know, we got a lot of things going on. So I always say as much as possible, seeing if you can form habits of thoughtfulness. So again, here's mine. Every single month on the first of the month. So I actually just did this on June 1st. I take a look at the month of June and I say, whose birthday is it? Whose anniversary is it? Or who has something special? So those three questions. So for instance, this month in June, my nephew graduated high school. That's an example. Um, my best friend's birthday is next week. That's another example. Um, in June, it's Father's Day here in the US. So like, that's another example. And what I do is I pre-organize what is going to happen on those days. So I pre fill out a father's day card. I have a ton of cards sitting here for all different occasions. I order flowers 3 weeks in advance. I you know, I spend 2 hours so that on my best friend's birthday, boom, there's a flower delivery. So I spend 2 hours on the 1st of every month kind of setting up my thoughtfulness for the month. And what happens, Jeff, which is so funny, is, you know, throughout the month all again it's a Wednesday, I'm busy, I got a bunch of stuff going on, and all of a sudden I'll get this text like, "Oh my gosh, you sent flowers. That was so sweet. You know, no one else has sent me something today that was so meaningful that you remembered." And I think to myself, "Oh my god, I forgot." <laughs> like it's the actual day and I actually did forget. And then I'm like, oh, thank God I was thoughtful, even though I kind of forgot today. So it's, it's again, that system, those small habits that you can create. So again, that's, that's kind of like the gift that I will give everybody who's listening, you know, pick one day. It could be the first of every month for you. It could be the 31st, but set up all of your thoughtful small habits for the month. And it will make a world of difference to your friends, to your family, to your clients, kind of those ripple effects. Once you, once you throw that pebble in the middle of the lake.
0: Wow. What a great practical idea to end on. So habitual thoughtfulness and don't don't just do it intuitively and, and do it sporadically. Do it intentionally. And I love your your idea behind it because you're right. We're all running on the treadmill and then we want to be thoughtful. Most of the people I've met in life actually do care about other people and they want to be thoughtful, but then they get behind it, so to speak, on their calendar. And then next thing you know, they've missed. I love that idea. That's great. And, and if you want more helpful tips from Kim Kalp, go to at Kim Kalp on Instagram, not Kim Kardashian or Kim com. Um, this has been great. I do want to have you back on another another episode at some point in the future to talk a little bit more depth on networking, some more of the brand, the communication piece. And I think you'd add a ton of value uh, to our audience that way. So it's been great. You're delightful. Love it. I've learned a lot myself. Thank you for being on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. And hopefully it's just the start of part two coming soon.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, have a great rest of your week and we'll, we'll see you in the next episode. So thanks again. Thank you.